CBHDD is reminding people that the Georgia Crisis and Access Line can help those worried about opioid and stimulant misuse. The toll-free number is online and is active 24-7. More information at opioidresponse.info. This is fast. <laughs> I told you it was going to be tight. Glad to have you with us for Political Rewind today. I'm Bill Nygut. It's day 39 down at the Georgia legislature. They only go 40 days. They're not working on Monday. Well, they're working on Monday. They'll be deal-making like crazy all day at the Capitol on Monday. But day 40 will take place on Tuesday, and there is still a lot that has to be resolved between now and then, including some of the most high-profile measures uh, that we've seen all session. So we're going to talk about that plus much more on today's show. Jim Galloway, the lead Political writer for the AJC is with us. You read him on the Wednesday and Sunday, in the Wednesday and Sunday papers, and you also see him because he oversees the Political Insider blog. Hey, thank you. By the way, you were caught up in this mess. For those of you who are in Metro Atlanta, you know that the police stopped traffic on I-75 all morning to chase some bad guys. And you had to you had you had to know the back roads of Cobb County to get here on time. <laughs> and which you do, Galloway. Thank you for making the effort to be down here. We're glad to have you uh, here. Ed Lindsay is with us, former Republican uh, member of the U of the U.S. House of the Georgia House. Yep from Atlanta and now a partner at Denton's, the world's largest law firm where you oversee the Georgia practice, government relations practice. I appreciate being here on a very busy day 39. My team uh, is probably listening to this show back at the Capitol wondering where the heck I am. <laughs> I'm glad you're here, but you were there all morning, I was right? there all morning and I'll be there uh, late into this evening. All right, we'll be looking for insights from you about how things are unfolding down there. Audrey Haynes is with us. She made the drive in from Athens, Georgia. She's a professor of political science at University of Georgia. We're glad to have you here, Audrey. Glad to be here, as always. You have a bunch of your students from the Applied Politics program, where you work with students to teach them how to go into politics for a living. Yes, we do. And, and they're uh, all down at the Capitol, they're right? They're all down at the Capitol, <clears throat> and they're working very hard. Yeah. All right. Well, they'll be working hard these last few days, that's for sure. And Michael Owens uh, is with us. He's the immediate past chairman of the Cobb County Democratic Party. Uh, you are uh, one of the cybersecurity experts now at Equifax. Yes. Which seems like such to me, politics, cybersecurity, they do go hand in hand. Um, uh, but we're taking on Equifax and the problems they've had has been a big deal for you. Yeah, I mean, that was uh, it's one of the things kind of in my DNA when there's a problem, I, some problem I want to run to it. Um, you know, and Equifax did have a, a, an issue that we had back in 2017. Yeah. <laughs> an issue is a, a lovely way of putting it. <laughs> and, uh, but, you, but you're right. I mean, the, the confluence now that we have between cybersecurity and, uh, and politics, I love it because it takes my two passions and just, you know, put them on a crash course to each other. So, you know, I'm excited to be doing the work that I'm doing at, uh, at Equifax, but just as excited about how cybersecurity is now taking a front and center role. Yeah. Uh, and I like to say I now fight Russians in my political career and my <laughs> <laughs> you know, Galloway, he's the Owens now that he stepped down voluntarily from chairing the Cobb County Commission. The Democrats up there loved having him there. You've got to wonder if at some point he might think about running for an office. Yeah, yeah. You wonder if, if you know, somewhere in the 13th congressional district, yeah, well, there might be a, a place for him. I know that there is a a, 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 a a Democratic congressman named David Scott who hopes that's not so. <laughs> Well, you went a little further with that than I was going to, but, but we do think maybe we might, by mid-April, get some sense of where Michael Owens is going. I think there's a lot of Democrats out there, out there who are intrigued by him. So, um, all right, let's talk. First, Jim, let's start by talking about a couple of the controversial measures that have just passed down there. The first one uh, being uh, the Confederate Memorial uh, Bill. Jeff Mullis introduced this in the state Senate. It passed yesterday. The House approved it as well. This is the bill that would set new penalties for people who deface Confederate monuments. And probably just as important, it passed 
And what did not was a bill returning to local control of the fate of Confederate right. monuments. Uh, two things to keep in mind. Number one, SB 77, if you, if you want to take a look at the contents, uh, is, the, is, the, is sponsored by Jeff Mullis of Chickamauga, who happens to be the Senate Rules Committee chairman. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a very powerful position. Uh, it's, uh, the bill was changed, I believe, slightly in the House, which means it's going to need reaffirmation mm. in the Senate, so it's not a, a done deal. It would triple the penalties, uh, triple uh, the, the penalties on, 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 on defacement uh, and repair costs, I believe. Uh, and it would require local governments who move monuments to give them a, 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 an adequate uh, display elsewhere, which... I pointed out this morning that was not done with the Tom Watson statue in front of the state capitol. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Tom Watson was, was the grand, most... He was grandfathered in. Yeah. yeah. Well, grandfathered out. Ed, <laughs> uh, uh, this bill, there was a heated debate yesterday heated on debate. the House floor. Uh, there are Democrats who were very angry about, about this measure. Uh, Mullis has insisted from the start that we have to preserve our heritage. Yeah, well, one one caveat to to about this bill, it doesn't just involve uh, Confederate monuments, but it involves any historical markers or monuments and protecting them. Uh, and and therein lies a, a an interesting struggle that, that that we have in particular here in the South, as you know, as we become more sensitive to some of the, the, the darker sides of our history is how much of it to glorify and how much of it to remember and how much to simply place in greater context. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, one of, the, one of the places that I'm most interested in is Stone Mountain, uh, which, you know, was first uh, created as sort of a, uh, well, not sort of, but created as a Confederate memorial. Uh, and, you know, and you have the, the, the etching on the side of the, of the granite, uh, mounted, a lot of us, for instance, don't necessarily uh, favor don't favor period uh, taking that off, but would prefer to have something like a memorial to Martin Luther King uh, and a bell tower put on the top uh, to commemorate not just his life and his memory here in the state, uh, but uh, but also his 1963 uh, speech on the on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, in which he called out Stone Mountain and some of the the, the darker parts of its history. Uh, and, you know, I think that that would be a very fitting uh, memorial and would, quite frankly, put uh, other things about what happened, what, what exists out at Stone Mountain in, in better context. Yeah. Um, Michael, uh, there does seem to be a bigger and bigger movement now toward contextualizing rather than removing so that at Stone Mountain you do something to honor Dr. King, maybe in Decatur, in the, t in the uh, courthouse square where you do have a real lost cause uh, monument, you find some language that talks about what the lost cause means, compare, uh, whatever. Yeah. That does seem to be, and Michael Thurmond uh, is one who really believes in that contextualization. You know, I've, I've, I've heard that um, contextualizing, and, and I look at it from the standpoint of, Let's put it in a context, right? Let's put it in a context of not heritage, but put it in a context of this was, this was treason against the United States of America, right? I mean, the, the fight was to succeed from the union. That's exactly what this was about. So, you know, I don't know anywhere else in the world, you know, we, we understood that this say that um, victors tell the story, right, of history. I mean, history is told by the victors, those who win. And this is one of those unique cases where that is not the fact, right? I mean, history in this sense is being shrouded in heritage and to basically say that, you know, this was, I don't want to say it's okay. You know, we can talk yeah. about the fact of, um, you know, whether it's celebrating it or whether they're trying to contextualize it. I mean, I, look, I, I agree with telling the whole story. Both yeah. sides of the story, I think, is, is, is important. I think when you have ancestral uh, people who have lived in the South and their great-grandparents and great-great-grandparents may have fought in the war, I understand there is, there is some value to remembering that. But in the grand scope of things, I don't know anywhere else in the world that we're going to to honor people who, who fought to tear down a country. Uh, let me, real quick, because I want to get you in, Audrey. But Jim, there, help us with this. There is nothing in the language, as it now stands, that would prevent a local community, or is there, from adding to memorial. For instance, a 
a sign that contextualizes or something. Do you know no, off no, that? No, no, they no. Can they, do that they, can, they can still do that locally. They can still do that. Okay. And mm -hmm. I, I'd have to go back and read the bill carefully. No, I mean, in, in, in terms of upkeep and repair, I'm, I'm not sure that there is any insistence on that. Okay. I, I want, Audrey, I want to play a sound bite and ask you to respond to it, and then let everybody get a crack at this. And, and I want to, going in, I want to say that this was not a remark that was endorsed by, mem by many Republicans. People, this was not a position by the Republicans in the House. The Speaker very quickly uh, got past it put, it, put it to the side. But it is a reflection of just how heated the debate can become. And from my point of view, it tells us something about the uh, impact of a President Trump in how we talk to each other. This is Representative Barry Fleming commenting during that debate. That a placard shall be placed at the base of Stone Mountain, which reads, in 1958, Georgia Democrats funded the project to have the following Democrats put on Stone Mountain, Jefferson Davis, Robert E. Lee, and Thomas Stonewall Jackson in order to commemorate Georgia's role in the Civil War, which was started by Democrats, succeeding from the Union and being the party of slavery and later Jim Crow. One reason to keep monuments in Georgia from being destroyed, which this bill does, is because it reminds us of the past. And I would remind you what Georgia was like when Democrats ran the state. And we should keep those reminders around so we don't return to that. So, Audrey, as I said, I didn't see any broad endorsement from other Republicans <laughs> in the chamber for what Barry Fleming had to say. But the very fact that you get into the well of the Georgia House of Representatives and accuse the Democrats of being the ones who, I mean, it's true that Democrats were historically in a position uh, that uh, was, they, they, they were the party of slavery at some point, but this is now 2019. Yes, and uh, the first thing I would say is I would love for him to take my political parties course so he could, <laughs> he could actually learn about um, the dynamic nature of parties and how they can change uh, significantly. And the labels may change, um, you know, but the movement. So right now, uh, we would look back and we would see that uh, Democrats back in that day were the status quo. We don't want to change things. And, and over time, we've seen a realignment. And a lot of the people who are status quo don't want to change things now tend to be Republicans. So. In, in, from, from the Civil War through the World War II, Democrats did advertise themselves as the party of the white man. Yeah, it's, yes. that's, right. Yeah. Okay, well, right. what, what, what we're missing here is that we swapped name tags somewhere around in the yeah. 60s, 70s, and yeah. 80s yeah. Uh, with Richard Nixon, uh, Ronald Very Reagan, the two Bushes, and, and, and Donald Trump, and now Republicans are the party of the white male. Yeah, you know, and, and again, well, I, as a as a Republican white male, I'd like <laughs> I'd like to just simply point out that 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 a lot of us uh, view our party a little bit more broadly than yes, that. It's a, but, <laughs> it, it is a, it is a representation of what's happened. You know, we we see this going on in Washington every single day, Michael. Uh, but the Georgia legislature has in many ways tried to have more civil, cordial debates than that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I think no doubt that what you see um, from Washington is definitely leaching down into state legislature. I think it's happening all over the country. Um, and I think part and parcel, that is what we know we've seen since Donald Trump has taken office. There has been a, uh, shall we say, a general degradation in decorum all around, and we're, and we're starting to see that. Well, having served in the General Assembly, I can tell you, particularly when you get around day 38, 39, <laughs> 40, <laughs> a, a lot of the decorum yeah. Yeah. Uh, take, goes out the window when you're the end for, for, for a very long time. Yeah. I, I, I believe that, that we need to keep this in, in, in context. Uh, the General Assembly uh, still here in Georgia does push forward with a lot of bipartisan legislation uh, that that tries to make sure the trains run on time and the children are well educated. I'm glad you point that out. You know, by date, you're right, by day 38 or 38, you know, the, the secret to a lot of the reality TV shows is they don't let these people sleep very much, so their nerves are frayed. Yeah. They're, and, and that's kind of what happens down to the General <laughs> yeah. Assembly by but, day know, 38, the, the unfortunate 39. thing about, about that statement <laughs> that's made, though, it is um, 
it's in a way trying to say, well, Democrats, you own this, right? And, and it was and unnecessary. Absolutely, yeah, it really I mean, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's misinformation that, that, that hopefully that some people will latch on to and regurgitate. Right. There's no basis to I, it. I just, well, I, I wanted to play that and get your response, and I appreciate your giving it to us. Uh, Jim, they passed the budget. Uh, the, as we you point out, now? the only thing <laughs> that the, the General required. Assembly is required to do is pass a budget. Everything else is uh, frosting on the cake. Right, and which means if, if we get into a heated, if the arguments become too heated, if the disparities become too great, they can always gavel the, bring the gavel down and everybody can go home. Have, Ed, during your uh, tenure... Um, were there 40-day budgets? Uh, I mean, budgets that weren't signed until well into the 40th day of the session? Yeah, we had a few times in which well into the 40th day the, the budget came forward. Uh, those were often uh, a lot of our lean years, uh, quite frankly. Uh, when we were, sometimes when we were just start looking underneath the cushions, looking for dimes and nickels and quarters. <laughs> I do remember, I think it was the 2009 and 2010 budget in particular, when we had to go from a $21 billion budget down to about a $17.4 billion budget. Those were rough years, and, and, and I uh, chaired one of the, uh, the education subcommittee, I can tell you, it was really rough. Uh, this year is $27 billion. This, this year is It's the five. biggest budget uh, ever passed. And, you know, it has, it has continued to, to move up as the, as the state's population has increased. And, quite frankly, refilling uh, some of the uh, coffers that had been depleted uh, mm -hmm. in the previous years. But, you know, uh, we also did have one year in which we did get out on day 39. Get back to Jim's point. There's no constitutional requirement they right. have to stay to day 40. Right. They can leave a day early. Right. And I, th I think it was 2005 that we actually uh, signed died on day 39. Uh, Audrey, the budget includes $3,000 raises for teachers. Brian Kemp promised on the campaign trail he was going to give them big raises. He said $5,000. It became clear that it was going to be staggered over several years. But... A $3,000 down payment isn't a bad start for the governor. It's a victory for him in some ways, I think. No, it is. And that's a huge constituency, a very active one. So by delivering on that promise, that is a, a good way for him to start his, his term. Uh, and, and he's got four years to come up with the other 2000 yes, yeah. yes. And I point out in terms of getting back to the issue of uh, how much bipartisanship, I believe there were only four or five no votes right. uh, in the House. Uh, so this was a str very strong bipartisan budget. I, I mean, I, it, it's a no-brainer almost, right? I mean, if you, you find ways, and as government, we have to find ways to do things and spend money where we know we need to spend it. And spending money on teacher salaries is, I think, it, it, I'm surprised it wasn't unanimous, but um, I can't think of anybody who wouldn't want to give teachers a raise. He also yeah. gave a raise to Audrey Haynes, I think. I think 2% in raise. the higher Real education. That's why you got a birthday present. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Jim, the, the, so that's a victory. Uh, that Governor Kemp in his first session as governor can claim. And the other one, of course, is uh, his Patients First Act, which gives him the power to determine what kind of waivers to ask for for Medicaid and for the Affordable Care Act. Right. And, and I think the most important part of that is that it uh, it kind of it's a, a reassertion of the governor's power in, within the governor's office uh, in 2015. Was it 2015, 2014? Uh, when Nathan Deal was running for re-election, you had some legislators get worried that he might go for Medicaid expansion. They took that power away and uh, put it in the hands of the legislature, and now it's back in the Yeah, their fear was that if, his if Jason Carter, the Democrat, were to beat Nathan uh, Deal, then he almost certainly would want to expand Medicaid with right. the powers that he had, the governor had at that point. Now it's back. Ed? Well, I, I, to, to add to that, in terms of what they did today, and saw part of that same component, uh, with the seeking the Medicaid waiver, uh, a big uh, part of that component is continuing the provider fee uh, that right. is required for Medicaid. That passed this morning this as well. This is what well we call as, the bed tax. Or bed tax, or provide, Republicans call it a provider fee. Whatever. <laughs> uh, but, but you know, it raises. You know, for every dollar that's increased uh, through the provider fee, the state gets four dollars from the federal government in terms of Medicaid reimbursement. So it's a it's a good trade off. But we not only had that, but also uh, the governor and the lieutenant governor and the Georgia Hospital Association came together this morning and also passed a uh, update on uh, CON. 
Certificate of Need. Certificate of Need, which hasn't been updated in about 10 years. So that's another win for the governor mm -hmm. and the lieutenant governor. And also uh, the hospital association is pleased as well. All right, so uh, we'll put cer Certificate of Need to the side for, for a few minutes, if you don't mind. Uh, Michael, you know, so the governor, Governor Kemp in his first session is having some uh, some victories that he's going to have the right to uh, to brag about. Uh, at the same time, we're still waiting and wondering what is going to happen with the birth, uh, the heartbeat abortion bill. Yeah, that's um, it is one I can tell you from the Democratic side. We're still uh, fighting every hour, every minute, every second uh, to stop this bill. Um, you know, it's it's. And I've said before plenty, plenty of times, this bill is something other that Brian Kemp uh, ran on. But uh, as we get closer and closer to this bill, uh, the number of people, sheer people we see turning out at the Capitol is, is nothing like I've ever seen before. You know, so uh, and then you go into the into the text of the bill itself. And there's a lot, a lot of problems there. And you start off with just the heartbeat itself in, in the name of it. Um, six weeks. Right. Um, when most women don't even know that they're pregnant. And, uh, you know, I don't want to go into the full context of the bill, but there's a lot of problems there. And I'll tell you, I'm really, really proud of Senator Jen Jordan and the, the speech that she gave, um, which I think was very impassioned. She got it was some hard personal things I think she she let out. But, um, you know, to get really the heart of the issue and here you have this this picture that there's a bunch of white males that are, in essence, telling women uh, how they should control the reproductive health. Right. I, I want to continue this conversation because it's an important one, but I want to get a, we need to get a break in right now. And when we do, we'll come back and I want to bring everybody else into this part of the conversation, including the question of whether some Republicans are beginning to get cold feet about this because it's drawn on for longer than it uh, might otherwise have. So let's do this. Let's take our first break of the show and we'll be right back with more on Political Rewind. Are you thinking of getting rid of your old car, truck, or RV? GPB's Vehicle Donation Program is here to help. Donating has never been easier. We'll take care of everything, including free pickup of your vehicle. Just go to gpb.org cars or call 877-GPB-1-CAR. That's 877-472-1227. And thanks so much. I'm Ira Flato. Mathematician Steven Strogatz joins me on Science Friday to talk about the calculus you didn't learn in college. Plus, National Poetry Month is right around the corner. We'll talk to the U.S. Poet Laureate and a poet physician about where science fits into their craft. All on Science Friday from WNYC Studios. Today at 3 on GPB and gpbnews.org. We're back on uh, Political Rewind. Uh, just want to remind you that on Monday night, April 8th, we will be in uh, Audrey Haynes territory. We'll be in Athens, Georgia, on the campus of the University of Georgia, where we're going to do our show in front of a live audience. We're going to talk about young people and politics today with a big crowd, we hope, of students from the University of Georgia. So if you still want to come out and be part of that show, be in the audience, we'd love to have you there. Just go to politicalrewind.org and you can save yourself a free seat. We're looking forward to being out there, Audrey. Uh, we are looking forward to having you, too. J uh, Jim, uh, I said it before the break, there has been some concern that this abortion bill has lingered for so long that it's causing some Republicans who would have otherwise supported the measure to wonder if it's a good idea to do it. Well, there, there, there are two, two factors for Republicans. Number one, you have Georgia Right to Life. Uh, which is a no exceptions organization, uh, 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 no abortion with, and, and no uh, and uh, no abortion even in the case of of rape, incest, or or, or life of the mother, and uh, so they fear that that they they've come out against that bill and they fear that that might rob them of one or two votes. But you also have you also have the situation uh, in the in the northern arc of of Metro Atlanta where you have. Where you have uh, really what what we saw in, in 2018 was a, a revolt among college-educated women, uh, uh, in the, especially in the sixth and seventh district. Yeah. And it, it, the one thing one thing I wrote this week is is uh, it was it's uh, 
Lucy McBath had a very, very interesting ad, a closing ad in November, in November 6, uh, uh, 2018. It was the first ad that I can remember that was a pro-choice ad. It led on uh, with an attack on Karen Handel for uh, for uh, it, it accused her of, of criminalizing doctors who perform abortions. It was the first one, first TV thing, TV ad of that nature that I've seen since early 1990s. Yeah, well, and I was going to add to that, and the fact that you know, if you look at um, Georgia's estate, um, one of the things that is interesting is if they really wanted to uh, lower the levels of abortions that take place. The number one factor is contraception, mm -hmm. ease of access, mm -hmm. cost, and we don't do very well in this state on that. So that is problematic. If they were going to put forth this bill and add an additional component to make contraception more accessible in the state, you know, they might have some more support. Um, but we don't do very well. In fact, I don't think that we, um, we have actually one uh, law uh, that allows pharmacists to deny, um, to not give uh, the emergency uh, day after uh, yeah. medication. So, you know, all the data, all the research suggests that contraception is what has been actually lowering it. There have been over a thousand restrictive laws post Roe v. Wade across the nation. And most of the analysis shows that places that actually have more access to contraception have lower rates of abortion than even the places that and, are. And I haven't even heard that as part of the debate and, down there in any of the conversations it's, it's, going you know, on. You know, the, the, the overall uh, debate has been uh, very heartfelt on both sides. Yeah. Uh, you know, and you're absolutely right that Jen Jordan's speech in the, in the well of the Senate was very heartfelt and, and, and was an excellent speech on her part in terms of personal history. You also had on the other side, you had Ed Setzler, who is uh, a child of adoption, who spoke of the fact that he was born in 1969 and has to wonder whether or not if he was conceived in uh, and came about in 1974, whether or not his his uh, teenage uh, mother uh, would have aborted him or not. So you had that very heartfelt. Uh, I also, you know, my state representative is Deborah Silcox, who voted mm, against the a bill. Republican. Uh, who has very strong moral opposition to abortion, but nevertheless didn't feel uh, that it should be, uh, uh, it felt like the, the, that it should drop down from 20 to, so, to heartbeat. And so she gave a very heartfelt. You're a, you're a vote yeah. counter. Yeah. And you say that you got a different count than maybe what that a lot of people suspect. Well, you got to remember this is that, uh, you know, the, the margin was was very close. It was only uh, passed with 93 votes and in, in, in the legislature it needs 91 in order to, to pass. But there, if you drill down and you look at, at who was actually on the floor and who wasn't, there were four very strong pro-life uh, representatives uh, who were not on the floor. So uh, if you add them into the mix, you now have to, in effect, flip eight seats uh, by the eight uh, people to, to vote no who are, otherwise voted yes. Are any of those ones who may have chosen not to because they did not want to take that vote? Some of, well, some folks, keep in mind, there were also some folks who were not on the floor who probably were voting. No. Yeah, I mean, I, I want to uh, make... But, but what I'm saying is that in terms of, you got 93 votes plus another four, so you're up to, up to potentially 97. Now, now, I do imagine that there will be maybe, that you may lose one or two of those, maybe three of those. But it's just, it's awfully hard on an issue like abortion. For the most part, folks are locked in one way or the other. What, one it's of these, awfully hard to, to, to go from one position or, or another once, once you have to hit a green it, button or a red button. Michael, it's important to remember here that this is a simple agree-disagree vote. This is not, this was passed uh, in the House, went to the Senate, they made changes, and now it's back to the House. There's yes. no conference committee working Correct. out the problems here. At any moment, Setzler can call for agrees or disagrees the with speaker, the changes. The speaker. Well, the, the speaker, speaker but, to. right, of course, mm -hmm. of course. So, so this could happen in an instant. It, it could, but I, you know, I, I hear it, what Ed said, and I want to also go back to, to what Jim was saying, that some of those some of those Republicans who chose not to cast votes, I think, was for a reason. And there is elections coming up and votes, in this case, votes have consequences. And, and this is a situation to where, man, there are a lot of eager people that's ready to, to vote these people out of office. Um, so I think some of those elections, I mean, some of those, some of those state representatives have to think long and hard about making that vote because they're going to have to go back and face their constituents, who many, Jim talked about in the northern 
suburb metro area. Uh, and there are a lot of lot of activists and a lot of volunteers that are going to be trying to win those seats. One last thing about this. Let me make it a little more real quick. Real yeah. quick. One, it's not just going back to your district. you got to go home to, to your spouse sometime. <laughs> there you go. Oh, that's great. Uh, Jim, uh, they could have taken this up at any moment, uh, and yet they still haven't. Uh, maybe late today, I think you believe? There are many reasons for keeping a bill like this off the floor until the very last minute. Number one, you put a lot of pressure on whatever party you're, tr you're trying to, to address to keep their people in line and, and, and active in other votes. Uh, uh, look, House Speaker David Ralston did not want to see this particular bill come up. Brian Kemp, uh, the governor, decided he wanted it to move. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if uh, David Ralston were making the, the governor kind of sweat a little bit here. Okay, but there's no reason to think it won't come up by the end of the night tonight, probably the end I, of I the day 39. I guess that they, that they yeah. want to get it. Meanwhile, uh, it's making national headlines. I was reading Michelle Goldberg's column in the New York Times today. Now, Michelle Goldberg is, of course, one of the most liberal columnists the New York Times has, but their accompanying her uh, column was a color photograph of those women dressed as handmaidens from Handmaiden's Tale in front of the Capitol. Uh, so we're getting the national spotlight that perhaps Georgia doesn't really want or need over an issue this controversial. It, it, you know, it, it's a heartfelt issue. And, and what I'll tell folks, and this is the hardest thing that I can imagine, is that, you know, it's very difficult to embrace two conflicting principles in our society. Yeah. One is the right to be left alone, yeah. whether you be man or woman. And that includes the right to, to, to control your own body. The second one is the protection of innocent life. All right, let's, and they're in conflict here. And, that's, and at some point, we're going to need to be able to have that honest conversation. Okay. Um, Jim Galloway, here's one of the most important questions of the session. What is a Franken bill, and how does it apply to the Hartsfield-Jackson takeover by the state? Well, a Franken bill, it's, it's kind of like a Christmas tree, yeah. <laughs> if you will, uh, where you've got a lot of things tacked onto it. This one, though, I think is is um, a little bit, bit uh, it has been constructed a lot more uh, deviously or, or smartly, uh, depending on what side you are, you're on. Okay, we had, a, we had the Senate airport bill uh, pass the state Senate. Burt Jones uh, was, was the author. It passed into the Rules Committee. Saying we want the state to take over the operation of Hartsfield-Jackson Airport. Right now, uh, extremely, extremely uh, uh, opposed by, by the city of Atlanta. Right. All right? The city, uh, the, it was sent to the Rules Committee, which generally is a traffic cop, okay? In this case, it was a place where the, the House Republican leadership could keep close watch on it and could design it to their, their, uh, to their whim. Because David Ralston had said from the beginning, I have yet to be told why we need to do this. Right. So go ahead. Okay, so you've got Kevin Tanner getting up. Uh, in, before the Rules Committee and making what I think is probably one of the biggest bets. Of the, it is the biggest bet of the session. Okay, you take the takeover bill and you convert it to an oversight uh, 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 commission, uh, kind of like Martok, that doesn't look just at Atlanta, but it looks at nine other uh, commercial airports in Georgia. All right. You toss in the Delta, uh, Delta uh, jet fuel tax, <laughs> all right, which the Senate does not like. And then, for good measure, you take up a, a, a statewide transportation system. 511. 511, right. that, that the Senate also doesn't like, and you load that into that sucker. <laughs> so what we've got here, Audrey, is a very specific effort, first, by the House to reject the state takeover of Hartsfield that the Senate had voted for, to add the Delta fuel tax, which the Senate seemed to be prepared to punish Delta over uh, for their not wanting to support the takeover. And then you get, as Jim says, this uh, 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 bill that would uh, help people across the state with transit and other kind of ride op sharing opportunities. Well, and this is one of those areas where you see that sort of the rules do sort of help you know, bring it back to a, a more palatable 
outcome. Because one, with all of the, the questions about some of the contract stuff that happened with Adam Smith and so on, there may be a need for some oversight. At the same time, if you look at, um, I was actually reading through the financial reports of the airport, they've been doing very well. I mean, they, um, they bring a lot to the, the city. And it's very complicated legally, I think, for the state to take over. And 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 in opposition to what um, Bert Jones was saying, the the state may support them, but it's really the the TSA and the federal government. So, that puts Ma Ma yeah. Yeah. so Michael, it, are we in a posture now where the House votes for this big Franken bill? It goes back to the Senate, and the Senate's already angry enough about this. This this whole thing could die. Uh, before this, before yeah. day 40 ends. Well, I, I thought that the takeover bill would be dead on arrival anyway. Yeah. I didn't think it was, I didn't think, you know, between Rawson, Speaker Rawson not, not heavily supporting it, between, as Audrey had said, I mean, I think the airport has been a very well-run organization, um, years and years of success behind it. It, it works very effectively and efficiently. And so, Delta was against it too. And Delta was against it as well. So, I mean, you, you had that trifecta there. I figured it was dead on arrival. And so I think it goes back to the Senate. I don't think it has much chance getting out of there. Jim and Ed, what do you guys? Let, let me ask you this though, uh, to both of you. Yes, I think it's a well-run airport. And I'm a resident of the city of Atlanta and my city owns it. And I'm not really sure how somebody takes over the operation of something that they don't own. But there, we have to concede that there has been a long history of problems, uh, with, particularly in the procurement area uh, of that airport over the years. Why doesn't, and, and, I, and I consider myself a, a, a fan of Mayor Bottoms. I don't agree with her on everything, but I'm generally a fan of her. She's still new in her administration. Why doesn't she simply come in and go, look, I'm going to clean up the few the things about the Atlanta airport that haven't worked well. I'm going to create a, a city authority and I'm going to appoint nine people to it and I'm going to put a barrier between the mayor's office and, and, and the operation of the airport to, to take away some of the problems that have happened in the past. And that's what I would really love to see my mayor do during the off season, and I'm using this bully pulpit here to advocate it, uh, is, is, and, and that I think would take that issue off the table from the state, and I think the folks in the city of Atlanta would love Jim? to see that as well. Okay, uh, to Michael's point, there is a possibility, uh, in even a likelihood, that this bill could collapse under its own weight. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and there, exactly. But, but there, you, you'll, there was a, there, there's also a gamble that the Senate could take a portion of it. Okay, and you you could see that happening. This bill passed the House. The the, the Franken bill passed the House. I think uh, with with 70 dissenting votes, all, all all Democrats. There were a few that didn't. One of them was Calvin Smyrie, uh, the, a Democrat, the dean of the d dean of the House. What that tells you is that if this thing does go to conference, he will have a seat at the at the uh, at the conferees table, and he will be representing uh, Mayor Bottoms and yeah. the City of Atlanta in that. Yeah. Um, okay, so we're going to watch how that unfolds, um, but that, Bill, I don't think we should be expecting the state takeover to happen anytime uh, uh, soon, actually. Uh, medical marijuana, this thing has changed. I, I think the Senate has now passed, Ed, right, a version... Yeah. That a much we're narrower be, version. Huh? A much narrower Much narrower. Version. So the House had approved... First, the most important thing was that there's a breakthrough. The legislature is now agreeing that uh, we should have some production of can marijuana oil for yeah. medical purposes in this yeah. cannabis oil in in the state, and we should have dis distributors. I think the House started with ten mm. distribution centers, uh, six, or, sixty distribution right. points. Oh, oh, and yeah. ten, ten growers, ten growers, ten growers. Ten yeah. growers. Uh, and yeah. now it's down to like two growers, true growers. Two growers. And, I, but I think the main thing to, to look at is, as you pointed out, is that this is a breakthrough. I mean, uh, a few years ago, we were just trying to get it so that it was permitted to have that in your possession mm -hmm. and not be mm -hmm. uh, a felon, uh, and particularly for. for for a myriad of different diseases uh, that you may have or that your children may have. So we got that passed, but you had to, the anomaly was you had to go to a place like Colorado, yep. get the oil, 
and technically violate the law as right. you flew from Colorado back to Georgia with the oil in order to administer it either for yourself or your child in the case of epilepsy. And that just didn't make any sense. And my good friend Alan Peake uh, has been working on this for, for a number of years. So now we'll at least have a distribution point here in Georgia uh, within our state so that the folks don't have that, that concern of having to go out of state just to get the oil to come back. And I'll tell you this. You know, I remember having uh, a mother and a child uh, come to me and sort of talk about uh, the importance of this bill in terms of taking care of her child who was epileptic and her child was sitting there. And by the end of it, you know, and I must admit, I was a little bit of a questioning about the merits of the bill beforehand. But after the conversation, I told her, look, I'm not only going to vote for it, I'm going to go down there and sign the bloody bill. <laughs> yeah. uh, because it is something that's very important. Uh, for the folks who, who suffer from particular disease. You know what, Michael, here's what I find ironic. We've just talked about concerns that some members of the legislature have about possible corruption in terms of the airport. Mm -hmm. You're now going to have two grower contracts for two growers, <laughs> 10 distribution centers. Man, there's a lot of money if you're uh, in among those 12 different organizations that yeah. have it. It'll be interesting to watch how they handle the awarding of those contracts. You know, that, that's one thing I'm, I know as many others are keeping a very close eye on. Um, you know, marijuana, you look around the country, is a very lucrative business, very much so. And uh, as someone actually who went through Leadership Georgia last year, I, I can say I got a great appreciation for the agricultural community in this state. Um, and I, I don't think it's too early to start talking about ensuring that we have some, some equity when it comes to making sure who we know these growers are mm -hmm. and who the dispensaries are and ensuring that there is a level playing field where, where people of, of all yeah. colors, socioeconomic, you know, that people can come together and get these contracts. Yeah, I, I think, number one, uh, we, we need to remember that this, is, uh, this, this now likely goes to a conference committee. So right. you're going to see some right. horse trading on, the, on, on the, the, the number of points of distribution, which has a, a, a great deal, which would have a great deal effect on, on the cost yeah. of, 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 of the, the, the medicine to these people. The other thing that I find, I think, interesting in the, in, the, in the Senate bill is that it gives uh, uh, universities in Georgia uh, a, a, a shot at, at looking at this as, as, as uh, uh, t trying to justify academically uh, the, the powers and non-powers of medicinal marijuana. Now, I don't know whether they will bite on that because you could put a lot of your federal grants in jeopardy if you yeah. get crossways with Washington. Yeah, you have to be careful. Yeah. Uh, let me interrupt. I want to interrupt yeah. because um, our intern, Morgan Carter, uh, just whispered in my ear that the House has now taken up the agrees, disagrees on the uh, fetal heartbeat bill. You're seeing right now, if you're watching us on Facebook Live, Ed Setzler in the uh, well of the House where he is making his argument for why House members should approve this measure. So. Uh, Jim, it's ironic in some ways that he talks about the uh, way in which the General Assembly always defers to physicians. The G Medical Association of Georgia has opposed this bill all along. Right. Uh, and I would like, since we've got a, a lawyer in the House here. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, we do. All right. Uh, what Sessler was talking about, what, just as, as, we, as, we, uh, as we cut away from him, he was talking about a list of affirmative defenses that are contain, contained in the yeah. bill. Yeah. Exceptions under which uh, 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 a prosecution for abortion cannot occur. Right. And the last one, number five, is if the mother thinks she has a medical emergency and undergoes an abortion, even though she might not. Okay. So my, my question is, you have a lot of Democrats pointing to that. And in fact, uh, Amy, Amy Steigerwald uh, uh, on, on, on the show uh, yep. pointed to it and, and said, if you're giving a, an affirmative, uh, affirmative defense, if a woman thinks she has a medical emergency, there's an implication there that she could be prosecuted mm -hmm. if she has an abortion and doesn't think she has a medical emergency. Ed? You know, that is, that is a concern that I've heard. And, and quite frankly, you know, you add it to the list of a lot of concerns uh, that folks have. And, I don't, and I'm not being flippant when I say that. There are, are several things about this bill uh, that are problematic uh, in terms of its enforceability. All right. Um, let's do this. Let's get another break out of the way. Uh, but what you've just witnessed is a, truly a historic moment in Georgia. I mean, this is one of the most... Uh, important measures that we've ever seen uh, argued in the legislature, certainly in our modern history, Jim. It is. It is. The, it is one of. The, it will be one of the most restrictive anti-abortion measures in the country. Okay. Um, 
We'll watch and see. And if they end up taking that vote before we're off the air, we'll certainly uh, let you know immediately. Uh, let's take a break. This is Political Rewind. I'm Ira Flato. Mathematician Stephen Strogatz joins me on Science Friday to talk about the calculus you didn't learn in college. Plus, National Poetry Month is right around the corner. We'll talk to the U.S. Poet Laureate and a poet physician about where science fits into their craft. All on Science Friday from WNYC Studios. Today at 3 on GPB and gpbnews.org. A doctor who fled Venezuela five years ago now treats other Venezuelans walking hundreds of miles through Colombia. To see people who can't walk in their shoes anymore and decide to go barefoot for hours and days in the sun, through rain, through cold, heat. Following the path of Los Caminantes, Venezuelans leaving their country behind, this afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News. Four till seven today on GPB and gpbnews.org. We're back on Political Rewind. Ed Lindsay is with us, Michael Owens, Audrey Haynes, and Jim Galloway. Uh, Jim, let's just change subjects on the legislature for a moment. Uh, you had an interesting item in The Insider. Uh, you reported, you all, that uh, there's now an effort by Republicans in the legislature up in Gwinnett County to postpone another vote on MARTA till 2026. 2026. And that's been Charlotte Nash, the Republican chair of the Gwinnett County Commission, who's been for the MARTA expansion all along, had kept saying, this is not a period, it's a comma, we're going to go right away. And now she's got her own Republicans trying to put this off for another eight years. What they've done is seven they've, years. They've, they've, they've attached a rider to Senate Bill 200, which mm -hmm. I think is a, I think that is a, a DOT, a, a department bill of, of some things that they want. And uh, it, would, uh, it would bar another martyr revote. Uh, and the, the, there's there's two points to make here. Number one is it, it's entirely likely that Democrats will take over the Gwinnett County Commission uh, in 2020. So this is this is directly aimed at at at. Uh, at kind of uh, restricting them from what they could do. The other portion of this is, remember that in, 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 in House Speaker David Ralston, you have uh, a pretty strong advocate for transit in Metro mm -hmm. Atlanta. And that, that, that bill is going to have to come to a vote to his, in, into his chamber. I'm not sure that it will make it. All right, well, we'll watch it. This, this is a simple thing with this. This is, we, the fact that this, this uh, referendum was put into March and not November was the first sign that these legislators did not want the bill to pass, right? And yes, Chairman Nash has been a supporter of it, but there's indicates, I don't think she's indicated where she's running for re-election or not. Mm -hmm. And now it's obviously that she's, you know, probably couldn't be in more odds with, with her delegation in Gwinnett. Um, but the problematic thing about this is that ultimately the voters need to decide what happens yeah. and, and not certain select individuals. And, and that's the problematic thing with this is we have to let the voters decide. It needs to come back to a vote and then let the Guanishians themselves decide, yeah. you know, and, and, and have their own destiny. One thing, I'll, one thing I, I do want to remind folks, uh, even if something like this were to pass, there's a reason that we put things on paper and not chisel them in stone anymore. This is the sort of bill that could easily be changed next year or, or, or when the people of Gwinnett. Yes, it could be, but, in, if it, but, it, it, but it's going to slow down the it, ability it, it, to it make may, this it move may, forward. And, you know, and I'm an advocate of transit, and, yeah, and sure. I hope to see it come to Gwinnett. And, and I strongly believe that I don't know if it's going to be 2020 or 2022. Uh, but, you know, it needs to get back up, up for a full vote of the people mm -hmm. in Gwinnett. I am reminded of the fact that in my area of the of city of Atlanta and Fulton County, it took two tries uh, to pass uh, back in the 1970s, yeah. the creation of MARTA. And so the fact that it may take two tries in Gwinnett doesn't mean that it's, it's dead. Audrey, we should remember, of course, that it was Republicans on the commission up there who really, the only way they were going to vote for having a referendum was if the uh, vote was held not in November in the general election, but was deferred until March because they thought it would have a bigger chance of losing in March than if it had been on the general election ballot. No, and strategically we see that happen in our state very often. You know, we mentioned the limiting um, or passing of legislation to limit powers when there's the anticipation that the opposition party is going to come in. And, you know, and I would just say, uh, ethically, I always find that to be... Terrible. Well, there's the other side, though, and, and I do want to want to warn folks of this: is that 
that up that would have could have also been easily lost in the discussion uh, in in the twenty. 18 general yeah. election, right. as opposed to being the sole thing on the ballot. Right. Last I, I want to turn from the legislature for, for, for a few, few minutes here, Jim, as we come down toward the end of the show. I get the fact that the last thing that most people out there in the public, and perhaps our listeners as well, care about is the care and feeding of journalists and how we're treated out there. I acknowledge <laughs> that. But there has been a very strange uh, there was an incident in Savannah, which I'm told people in Savannah are talking about. There was a meeting of African-American leaders. Um, we don't know if it was considered a public meeting or not, but they met to talk about selecting a single candidate to run for mayor against the white mayor who's now in office. Or because they have a white mayor in office, they're worried about that continuing. All right. They posted on the door a sign that said, Black Press Only. Two African-American TV reporters were allowed to go in Three white reporters, two from the Savannah Morning News, one white reporter from a TV station, you can't come in. Now, we hear from President Trump all the time about the fake media, but this situation, which suggests that access should be based on race, is a really troubling kind of development. It is, and uh, there, were not, there was another restriction on there, no, no, audio or not, no audio or video recording, which tells you that... They wanted to be able to say things and not have it uh, have it uh, made public. Uh, look, I, I I I might have hoped that the 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 African American reporters might have kind of stood with the, with their with their with their brethren of another color and and not not walked in on that. But what troubles me more is that this is this is a very it's kind of 1970s thinking in terms of racial demographics and it's it's uh it's if you if you've been covering the city of atlanta politics they have run so hard away from thoughts like this it's in the city of atlanta everyone knows you cannot win a, a single race, you can't run a single race campaign. Well, Stacey Abrams would have argued against this because of the way she ran but her that's, campaign. And, and that's her revolution. Her revolution <laughs> right. is she has remade the biracial coalition for the Democratic Party. Right. It's based on different generations. It's it's, it's based on different uh, people, but it's 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 got a future. Yeah. Michael, yeah. I would, to some extent, it seems to me this is part of that tension that's going on down there between, you know, a government now, a city, co county government that's having a hard time figuring out where, where, what it is racially. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt from, from the face of this, it seems very troubling, right? Um, you know, I wonder again, you know, public, a public event, a private event, um, you know, I think when you go to the point of posting something on a, on a door, um, that certain yeah. people are not allowed, I don't care who yeah. that is, uh, that gets very, very problematic. I mean, if that had been a sign that said, you know, white reporters only, we would have every bit as much reason to be outraged as, uh, 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 I mean, the African-American community would have ever been as but, much but reason. But just, just, just a little bit, bit of more con uh, uh, context here. What you did was you had, you had Eddie DeLoach. Uh, uh, it's a nonpartisan race, but he's a Republican. He won, he won the mayor, mayority right. in, in, in 2015. Right. He drew Edna Jackson, the Democratic, uh, an African-American woman, Against into a, a runoff. Yeah. And, and, and she, he drew her in a runoff in, in, in part because there were, there were two or three other candidates. And, and that's, that's the situation that, that these people were trying to address down in Savannah this week. But there's, there, are, there are ways to do that that doesn't... That well, yeah, I, it's one thing to go out and try to seek a coalition and, and sort of put forth the strongest mm -hmm. possible candidate for your, for your point of view. Uh, but it's another one to overtly use, uh, to practice racism. And let's right. just face it, that's what we're it was. Out you deny you someone, get one comment, one Audrey. Well, you just, well, I wonder how they're not paying attention to politics around them, because that is such a rookie error to make, and it's going to hurt them, and, and they should have. But they did. There was one candidate, supposedly, that spoke that said he was running on inclusion <laughs> and progressivism. Very quickly, uh, Regina Quick, former state lawmaker, was, was one uh, black candidate for mayor of Atlanta who did not go to that meeting. Okay, um, we're out of time. I would just say, uh, 
look, you know, we're not fake news. We really work hard at being accurate and honest. And goodness knows, we don't want to see a situation in which the white and black reporters are somehow uh, uh, put at odds with one another over, over this. So it'll be interesting to see how that develops in Savannah. You Regina Thomas. Regina, Regina Thomas. Thomas. Sorry. That's all right. Uh, Jim Galloway, with that correction, ends Political Rewind uh, for today. We're back again on Monday at 2 o'clock. We appreciate all of you being with us out there. And my thanks to the panel for a great show today. Signing die next Tuesday.